the lifestyle of our parents makes a huge impact on the lives of their children and their children's children. Now, folks, this is what God's been saying in the Bible for 4,000 years. And I don't know about you, but I think it's wonderful, don't you, that secular research is finally catching up with the Bible. I think that's wonderful. And so since this forms the basis of the passage that we're going to look at from the life of King David today, I just thought we'd start off by making sure we all understand what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the impact of parental lifestyle on people and how we can take this principle as followers of Jesus Christ and turn it into a blessing for us and for our children and our children's children. I want you to take a Bible and let's open it together to 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now, a little bit of background. Remember when Joshua invaded the promised land, that he was told by God to drive out every Canaanite people in the land. Where there was this group of Canaanites living in Gibeon, called the Gibeonites, living about four miles north of Jerusalem. They knew they were goners, and so what they did is they snookered Joshua. They tricked him into making a treaty that the Israelites would not harm them or destroy them. And so for 400 years, these Gibeonites have been living as a protected people right smack dab in the middle of Israel. Well, the beginning of this chapter, chapter 21, tells us that King Saul, David's predecessor, violated that treaty, that he put to death large numbers of Gibeonites, he brutalized them, massacred them, and as a result, God has now sent a three-year disciplinary famine on the land of Israel. David wants to get that famine gone. He wants to make things right. And so as we pick up the story, the end of verse 4, David asked them, these Gibeonites, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do to make it right so I can get the discipline of God off of our nation? Here we go. Here comes the answer. Verse 5. And they answered the king, and here's what they said. They said, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, we can't do anything to him. He's dead. But here's what we want. We want seven, verse six, of his male descendants to be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah. Now, as 21st century Americans, we're appalled when we read something like this. We read this and we go, well, how is this fair? I mean, how is it fair that Saul's grandchildren and children have to suffer for what he did? This isn't fair. But folks, we have to remember that families in the ancient Near East were considered intricately connected units. That when a family leader took an action, the entire family was held accountable for that action for generations and generations to come. Now, if your family leader is taking good actions, well, that's great. But if your family leader's taking bad actions like Saul did, that's a problem. And these Gibeonites are simply doing what every person in the ancient Near East would have considered right, would have considered fair, would have considered equitable. They are holding Saul's family accountable for the actions that he, as the leader of the band, had taken. Verse 6, the end. So the king said, I'll give them to you. If you read a little bit, you'll find out he picked out seven of Saul's grandsons, verse 9, and he handed them over the Gibeonites who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest. 
And after this, if you read the rest of the chapter, you will find that God lifted his disciplinary famine because there had been some justice done. There had been some reparation made. There had been some repayment for all the brutality and the atrocities that Saul had carried out. And God lifted his famine on the nation of Israel and his discipline. Now, that's as far as we want to go in the passage right now, because we want to ask the most important question. So you ready? One, two, three. So what? what? You say, Lon, I got to be honest with you. I don't see any so what here. You know what I see? I see a pretty gruesome set of events. That's what I see. And I don't see that there's any positive redeeming message anywhere in this. Well, wait a minute. It is pretty gruesome. I admit that. But I believe there's a great lesson in here for us as followers of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what lesson? Well, let me tell you. Would you look and notice how Saul's children and Saul's grandchildren here suffer because of his ungodly lifestyle? And may I remind you, it doesn't start here. Think back a little bit. First, there was Saul's son, Jonathan who died early in battle trying to be loyal to a father whose ungodly behavior had caused him to be forsaken by God. And then there was another son of Saul, a fellow named Ishbosheth, who was David's rival for the throne after Saul's death. He died also trying to hold on to a throne that had been stripped away from Saul because of Saul's disobedience. And now we have seven of Saul's grandsons who are hung in retaliation for Saul's brutality against these Gibeonites. Think about it. This made two of Saul's daughters childless. It made seven of Saul's granddaughters-in-law widows. And it made dozens of Saul's great-grandchildren orphans. Here's the lesson. That his parents... The lifestyle, the choices that you and I make today, those choices are going to have massive impact on our children and our grandchildren long after we're gone. You say, well, Lon, got to tell you, I'm here. I don't have children yet. I'm not even married. So I think this is wonderful. You're going to talk about this. But you know what? If you don't mind, I'm just going to kind of excuse myself and head off to brunch because this doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. If you're here and you're not married and you don't have children, the odds are great one of these days you will. And you're going to need the principles that I'm going to talk about right now or you're going to mess some people's lives up really badly. So my suggestion is even if you don't have children, you put those eggs Benedict on the back burner for just a few minutes and you listen and learn. So when you get married from the beginning, you know the target you're trying to hit. Now, what is the principle that we see at work here? in the children and grandchildren of Saul having been affected by his actions. I want you to turn back in the Bible and I'll show you Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's page 129 if you're using our copy of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And when you get there, you'll find this is a fairly familiar passage. It's the passage where the Ten Commandments are. You go, well, Lon, I don't even turn there. I know the Ten Commandments. Well, maybe you know the basic Ten Commandments, but you know God takes some of these commandments and amplifies them. I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 5, look at verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, most of us know that much. But look what else it says. I am a jealous God, God says, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers 
to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, what is God trying to tell us here, friends? What he's trying to tell us is that what modern research is now confirming in study after study after study, as I said earlier, is true because he made it true. He made it true that generations from now, our descendants are going to be feeling the impact of the choices we make today, the lifestyle we decide to live today. This is a principle of God. You know the Titanic. Everybody knows the Titanic. And you know the story, of course, that all these lifeboats were floating out there full of people in the water. And there were all kinds of other folks right near the ship that were yelling and screaming for help. But the lifeboats couldn't go help them. And the reason is they didn't want to get close to the ship because when a ship that size goes down, it creates a huge vortex that sucks everything close to it down with it. And so they had to stay back. Now, what God is telling us here in Deuteronomy 5 is that as a parent, you and I are the Titanic. That whatever way we go in life, we create a vortex that sucks the people closest to us, our children and our grandchildren, in that very same direction. I like to call this God's sucking principle. It is. It's a sucking principle. And friends, God's sucking principle can be a huge source of blessing. I mean, if we live a lifestyle of dedication to God, obedience to God's commands, a lifestyle of humility and servanthood and morality and ethical behavior, if we live an authentic Christian life in front of the people living in our homes, we're going to suck generations after generations after generation in that very same direction, just the way God tells us here in the Bible. However, this sucking principle can also be the source of a huge curse. Because if we live a lifestyle full of disobedience to God, spiritual arrogance, immorality, ethical compromise, if we engage in addictive behaviors and emotional rejection and verbal abusiveness, if we live a fraudulent religiosity at home instead of true, authentic commitment to Jesus Christ, friends, we're going to suck the people closest to us right in that direction. And if you don't believe it, just look at the studies. Do you know the vast majority of people with alcohol abuse problems today, studies show, grew up in homes where there was alcohol abuse? The vast majority of people who smoke today grew up in homes where they saw smoking practice? The vast majority of people today who have domestic violence in their homes come from homes where they saw domestic violence practiced in that home? The vast majority of people who struggle today with gambling addiction or substance abuse or depression come out of homes where those things were problems in in that home, and here's a scary thought, a huge percentage of children who come out of broken homes, guess what? Grow up to reproduce broken homes themselves. Folks, these findings by all these secular research institutes are not coincidence. They are not accidental. They are simply confirming the sucking principle of Deuteronomy chapter 5 that God tells us about in the Bible. Whatever direction you as the Titanic go... That's the direction you're going to suck everybody around you in. And if you don't believe it, I'll tell you, I know I came from that kind of background. My parents sucked me in all the wrong directions. When I was 21 years old, I was an emotional and psychological disaster zone. I would have been a challenge for any psychiatrist. Hey, compared to me, friends, Bob was normal. You understand what I'm saying? I was a wreck. You say, well, hey, you don't look so bad now. Well, let me tell you why. 
One reason and one reason only, because at age 21, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And the power of Jesus Christ shattered that cycle of curse that had been handed to me by my parents, had me hopelessly in its grip. The power of Jesus Christ enabled me to have a fresh start and to establish what I hope will be a cycle of blessing for my children that I hope they will pass on to their children. And they better, because if they mess this up, I will personally strangle them. My boys better pass this on and get this right. And let me say, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior and you're caught up in this cycle of cursing that was passed on to you, you've been sucked in all the wrong directions and you're feeling that baggage in your life. Let me tell you, I got some great news for you. Jesus Christ can break that cycle in your life. And give you the chance to start a whole new cycle of blessing. And the only thing is, though, friends, you can't do it without him. You can't do it by yourself. But with his power operating in your life, you can break that cycle. And I hope you'll think about that. You say, well, Lon, listen, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I've already done this. So message over. Let's all leave. Right. Not quite. Not quite. That's the important first step. But there's a second step that's just as important as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not going to automatically suck everybody in the right direction just because you ask Jesus Christ into your life. There has to be a deliberate dedicating of ourselves to staying on the right side of this equation, to making sure that we keep sucking people into the blessing of God. That doesn't happen by accident. And so as I close this morning, I've got five principles I want to share with you to help you as a follower of Jesus Christ stay on the right side of this sucking principle, on the right side of Deuteronomy 5's equation. So I hope you'll write them down. Here we go. Number one. If you and I want to suck our children in the direction of the blessing of God, number one, we need to live with an everyday awareness of this biblical truth, an everyday awareness of this sucking principle. What I mean by this is that every choice that we make every moment of every day, we need to make with an acute awareness that we are the Titanic. And we're not making these decisions in a vacuum. We're not making these decisions and they only affect us. But we're going to suck the people closest to us in the direction we make these decisions. The TV channels we let come into our homes, the reading material we allow in our homes, the movies we go to, the ethics that we model before our children. Tell them I'm not here. Wonderful, wonderful example. The spiritual dimension that we model. Oh, I'm not going to church today, son. I worship God on the golf course. Wonderful model. Okay. The marriage partner that we pick. There's an important choice because this is a team sport, this thing called raising children. And you better pick a marriage partner that has the same commitment to being a good Titanic as you have. Friends, these kinds of choices that we make every day need to be made with a deep sensitivity to this sucking principle. We're not making these choices in a vacuum. There are little eyes and little ears and little lives that are watching and getting sucked along. Principle number two is before you act, think magnification. Say, what does that mean? Well, I had a, an older man of God when I was a very young dad who one time said to me, he said, Lon, children are like magnifying glasses. Do you know what that means? And I went, no. He said, well, let me explain it to you. Your children are going to take whatever they see in you, especially the bad, and they're going to go one step farther than you ever went with it. 
or maybe two steps farther, but they're always going to magnify it beyond what you did. And you better be used to that and you better be ready for that. Now, folks, I never forgot that as a dad. It scared me as well it should have. But it's been a blessing in my life. It served as a governor in my life as a parent because every time I'm about ready to go do something wild and crazy and stupid, I find myself saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I want my boys going one step beyond what I'm about to do? Maybe I can walk, you know, right on the edge and not fall off. But hey, if they go one step past me, guess where they're going? They're going off the edge. Do I want to take that risk? And I'll tell you, it sobers you up real quick to think about that. Maybe I should come back from the edge just a little bit, leave a little bit of grace out there in case they do go a step beyond me. There's some ground to land on out there. Friend, your children are going to go one step beyond whatever they see you do, especially the bad stuff. Before you act, think magnification. Do I want my child going one step beyond that or should I walk a little bit farther back from the edge? Principle number three is limit your liberty. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, the Bible says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And then first Corinthians chapter eight says this, be careful that the exercise of your liberty does not become a stumbling block for the weak. Now, what is the Bible trying to tell us here? What the Bible is trying to tell us is that as followers of Jesus Christ, apart from criminal acts and apart from sinful acts, we have the liberty to do whatever we want to do. But the Bible is also telling us that mature followers of Jesus Christ don't exercise all the liberties they have just because they have them. Mature followers of Jesus Christ recognize there are weaker people around, impressionable people, children, grandchildren, new believers, whoever, and mature followers of Jesus Christ understand that if they exercise all of the liberties that they're possibly free to exercise, they're going to damage some of these impressionable people. They're going to harm some of these weaker people. So mature followers of Jesus Christ voluntarily limit their liberties for the spiritual welfare and benefit of other people. You know, if you were to come to my house, Brendan, my house, you would probably think that we're prudes. I mean, you'd walk in my house, you'd find no HBO, no Cinemax, no Showtime, no pay-per-view on the television. You'd also find we don't go out to explicit movies in the theater. There's no beer in my refrigerator. You say, well, how in the world do you watch the football game with no beer in your refrigerator? I watch it with iced tea, thank you, or Diet Coke. There's no wine in the cellar or anywhere else. And when we were doing our new kitchen, the lady asked me, don't you want to put a wine cooler in here? And I said, no. She said, you don't want a wine cooler in your kitchen? I said, no. There hasn't been wine in my house for 26 years and there's not going to be any wine in my house. There are no lottery tickets stuffed away in the drawer somewhere. When the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated arrives, we throw it in the trash can. When the Victoria's Secret catalog arrives in the mail, we throw it in the trash can. There are no curse words of any kind allowed in my house. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, you can say, oh, doggone it. But that's about it. Or you'll have me right in your face. And you say, man, you guys really are prudes. No, we're not prudes. We're parents. Understand what I'm saying to you? We're parents. We have impressionable young people living in this home. 
And friends, Brenda and I understand our Christian liberties very well, thank you. We know we have liberty to do so many of these things, but we also know that even though we may be able to walk right up close on the edge and it won't be a problem for us, we won't get ensnared by any of these behaviors. We won't become prisoners to any of these behaviors. We don't have that guarantee for the lives of our children. And so we've made the decision that we're not going to practice behaviors in our home, even though we know we're free to, that might possibly ensnare our children in behaviors and other compulsive activities that they will spend the rest of their lives trying to get over. Uh Uh-uh. We limit our liberties. And I can't imagine any people in the world who need to limit their liberties more than parents who are determined to suck their children toward the blessing of God. Principle number four is accentuate the positive. See, being the Titanic and sucking people in the right direction is not just about the absence of vice. It's also about the presence of virtue in a home. And that's why Paul says, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, my brothers, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and admirable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, concentrate on these things in your home. You say, well, what are some of the ways that you can accentuate the positive for God in your home? Well, I got some ideas for you. When your children are younger, you have Bible time. Read the word of God. Have prayer with them before they go to bed on a regular basis. You say, well, yeah, but what happens when they get older as teenagers? They don't want you sitting on their bed having Bible time with them when they're teenagers. You're right. So let me tell you what you do, what we've done. We encourage our children to have their own personal quiet time when they're teenagers. I order them campus journal and youth walk to go along with the Bible. And I give them an allowance and I tell them, if you have quiet time five out of seven days a week, I will take your allowance and I will increase it by 50% that month. You say, what? You give them another 50% on their allowance? Absolutely. Say, aren't you going to go broke doing that? No, their allowance is not that big anyway. But anyway... The point is, even if I were going to go broke, what a wonderful way to go broke, encouraging my children into a regular walk in the word of God. Here's another way you can accentuate the positive in your home. God-centered music. Hey, when people walk in your home, what do they hear? Do they hear music that lifts up Jesus Christ and points people towards him? Or do they hear music that doesn't point people towards anything that's constructive as far as God's concerned? What about the reading material? When people sit down on your sofa and want to browse something, do they have the opportunity to browse something that's going to turn them Godward or some other way? What about the conversations that go on at your dinner table or wherever? Do you purposely try to steer those conversations into God-centered conversation or you just let them go wherever they they want to go. How about rewarding values like honesty, integrity, humility, and servanthood, and building those values up and praising those values in the sight of your children, and not just rewarding those values, but how about being examples of those values in your home? And how about spending time with your children and investing your life in your children and communicating to them that they are the greatest priority in your life? And that you love them and you treasure them. Being there for their ball games. Being there for their soccer games. Being there for their recitals. I mean, we've got to accentuate the positive. This is how you suck people into the blessing of God. Principle number five and finally, stay married for life. Friends, we know from study after study that the rate of depression, the rate of antisocial behavior, and the rate of future divorce is radically higher in children who come from broken homes. 
And I believe one of the greatest ways that we can bestow blessing on our children and our children's children is to work our problems out and stay together as their parents. You say, but Lon, what if we're just not compatible? I mean, we're just not compatible. You know what? I believe you. You say, you do? I believe you. I believe you weren't compatible when you got married. You're not compatible now. And if you stay married 50 years, you won't be compatible. Because you can't put two sinners under the same roof and have compatibility. It is impossible. Compatibility is a figment of Disney's imagination. It does not exist. Brenda and I have been married 26 years, and we are completely incompatible today. Just as incompatible as we were 26 years ago. In fact, this past week in front of our small group, we had a huge fight right in front of the whole small group. I had to get up later and apologize and ask my wife's forgiveness in front of the whole small group. If you think we're compatible, you're nuts. You say, but you're still together. Yeah, we are. And let me tell you why. It's because of the other C word, not compatibility, but commitment. When we got married, the pastor who married us looked at us and said, Lon and Brenda, let me tell you something. Divorce is not an option. It's not one of the above selections. You guys, along with Jesus Christ, the three of you, figure out a way to make this work and you stay together. And we have for 26 years. It hasn't been easy. But we went into this saying, we're committed to doing this. You don't have to be compatible to make a marriage work. You just got to be committed and have the power of Jesus Christ operating in that marriage. And I know there are many of us here who have been touched by divorce, and I don't want to make you think that I'm insensitive or cruel or heartless. Let me give some advice to you. Number one, it may not be ideal to have been through a divorce, but I'm telling you, no mistake is fatal if you turn it over to the Lord. And I believe as a single parent, if you dedicate your life to being a blessing, to being the Titanic, to walking in obedience to God and raising those children to love God, that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten in your family and you can still raise children that walk in honor Jesus Christ. And if you ever think about getting remarried, the second thing I'd say to you, you wait till you find a man or a woman of God. And when you do it again, you do it for good. Five principles. That if we practice them in our home, they will suck us and our children and our children's children into the blessing of God. Number one, live with an everyday awareness that you are the Titanic. This is not a comment on your looks. It's a comment on your spiritual power in your children's life. Whatever choices you make, you're going to suck everybody close to you. Don't forget that. Principle number two, before you act, think magnification. Your children are going to take it one step farther than you. Maybe you ought to leave a little edge before you go right to the very, very precipice. Principle number three, be willing to limit your liberty for the sake of your children. Number four, accentuate the positive in your home. And number five, try to stay married for life. Friends, if we could practice these five simple principles then we're going to have children and children's children grow up to call us blessed and say it was a blessing to be raised in that home. That's our goal. That's what God wants for you and me. And with his help, let's make it happen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for talking to us about real life, down to earth, right where we live. And Lord, my prayer is that you would take these principles and change our lives, change our parenting, change our families, change our homes. 
Lord, if there are people here who need to make U-turns in some of these principles, I pray you would give them the courage and the commitment and the resources by the power of your Spirit in their life to do that. And Father, my prayer is that we, as Titanics, that we would suck our children and grandchildren into the blessing of God to the degree that maybe even after we're gone, people will still be saying, you know, it was a blessing to have that man, that woman, as the leader of the band. Lord, may we lead the band well, and may we lead it into the blessing of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.